Before we get into today's episode, I want to quickly thank our sponsor, Herbal Active. Herbal Active CBD. You can visit their website, herbalactive.com, U-R-B-A-L-A-C-T-I-V. When you're there, be sure to enter the promo code TRAPDRAW20 for 20% off all your purchases. And uh, I'll be back about midway through the episode to tell you a little bit more. But for now, thanks to Herbal Active. And now on to my interview. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of the Trap Draw Podcast. I am sitting here uh, outside the Diamond Resorts Championship in Orlando, Florida. I'm joined by Hall of Fame baseball pitcher John Smoltz. John, did you ever think the uh, the golf life would be this glamorous? <laughs> uh, I've always had a passion for golf. Always wondered where it would take me, and there has been so many great things that happened through golf. Whether it's meeting people, playing tremendous golf courses, or getting events like this, so I'm golf is my uh, is one of my favorite things to do. Obviously, yeah, and I, I want to get into your golf. Obviously, uh, he and I are sitting out here on a uh, on a picnic table outside the media center. Um, this is a first for me, and uh, uh, you know, away we go. I want to. You're from Michigan. You're a Michigan native. Um, grew up playing, if I have it correctly, baseball and basketball. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, was the plan at one point maybe to attend Michigan State? It was to to play both. Yeah, I was going to be uh, one of those two sports stars. I thought I was hoping in my mind, and over over time that that grew fading uh, when baseball was becoming more and more the. The dream that I would play a lot longer in my career than basketball. I love basketball. It's the sport I want to play more than baseball, but it, it, it grew its, um, I should say, I, I grew to the potential that I thought I could be. But I would have been a college player at some point. I was going to go to Michigan State. Um, it really came down to a 24-hour period of signing between the Tigers and going to my first class. Life for three weeks was upside down. I didn't know what I was going to do and what decision I would make. And on Sunday night around 9 o'clock p.m., I made a decision to sign. That's the last midnight was the, t- the time deadline, and I made a decision to sign with the Tigers. And my college career at that time was put on hold, especially from a standpoint of attending college if baseball didn't work. But um, the rest was history. Would you have overlapped with uh, Scott Skiles for a year at Michigan State? No, he, I- would, he would have been a little bit younger, I believe. I know the time frames didn't quite match up. My time frame was Andre Risen okay. uh, when he – he and I believe are the same age, I think, because I know we are. We played an all-state basketball game together. Okay. So Andre Risen, uh, there was a one period of time that Judd Heathcote didn't have a true point guard, and I was a point guard. I was going to ask what position you played. And I love uh, handling the ball and, and, and giving it to people. So that was truly a passion of mine, and that was the reason why I wanted to go to Michigan State. Um, they were going to give me a chance to try to do both. That would have been a tremendous challenge. Baseball was something that uh, would have been their first full scholarship ever at that time. And I was a local kid, and I loved the underdog and wanted to take down the big bad blue in, in the University of Michigan. And at that time, Barry Larkin and the boys was over at Michigan. And I never dreamt that, uh, you know, I would face him as much as I did in the big leagues. 
And uh, I, I got to imagine you were a big Tigers fan yes. growing up in, in that part of the, the country. Yeah. Uh, they were coming off a World Series title in yeah. 84, so I have to imagine their success played played some part in, in wanting to sign with them. Yeah, the, the history of the Tigers goes far beyond. My grandfather worked there over 20 years. He was on a ground crew for about 13 years, worked in a press room. I grew up around the city, moved to Lansing, Michigan, diehard Tiger fan, went to the World Series game clincher, saw Gibson hit the homer off of Gossage. They, for whatever reason, were tearing up the infield when they won it, and we would. They threw it in the stands. They were throwing pallets of sod <laughs> in the stands. So my brother and I grabbed about three or four of them, took them with us. We planted this tiger grass in our backyard. We had a big tiger statue overlooking it. So to say I was a tiger fan is an understatement. And then get drafted and ultimately signed with them. But the trade comes, and when I, you know, that trade was something that changed my life forever. But when I came home, the grass had been ripped up. And the tiger statue had been removed. It wasn't popular uh, in my home uh, growing back to I, Michigan. I can imagine. Uh, well, l- let's get into the baseball. Um, I, I have to think that that obviously changing environments and, you know, the Braves at that time, we're talking the mid-80s, weren't obviously near as successful as they would come to be, you know, w- when when you got there. Um, I'm, I'm curious what those – first couple years were like and and how you know you essentially changed your mindset to, to really embracing that challenge yeah so my goal was to make it to the big leagues my dream was to play for the tigers uh when my dream got you know kind of looked like smashed that didn't change my goal of being in a big league so i had to take some time to realize that the opportunity in atlanta was tremendous they were a bad team looking for pitching looking to turn around their organization lose 100 games a year i think my first two years we lost 100 games and when i got there i was excited about the opportunity that was before me and really rededicated myself to learning the things i needed to learn to to maximize my time frame to get to the big leagues. And it was a, it was an unbelievable journey that would not have happened in Detroit, a veteran laden club. And I would have probably spent way more years in the big, in the minor leagues. So this, this became the essential thing to really be able to showcase what I could do. And, and fortunately for me and uh, the Atlanta Braves trading for me, that this opportunity opened up about a year and a half later. And I would never look back, even though there's some bumpy moments in my career in a roller coaster type atmosphere, it's, it's the one thing that every player needs to get that little break that you might be behind a star at a position and you're pretty good yourself, but you're stuck behind an iconic player. A trade may not be the worst thing that ever happens. Did you? So you made your debut in 88, um, you know, a, a little bit of a struggle just stats-wise at least, and then you come back your, your second full season, 89, um, earn an all-star berth mm-hmm. looking back on that time was was there a, a, a piece of advice or, or do you remember anything that you know what what clicked or, or what was the difference was it just a matter of maturity yeah learning and okay. learning through losing was not a bad thing and i think we try to prevent that today we try to make people you know bypass what they need to learn to become the kind of player or person that they need to become and those life lessons were great. I, I, I stumbled, as you mentioned, my first year, but it didn't. It started perfectly. I won my debut at Shea Stadium, gave up one run, went eight innings. Again, in the next game at home, I went into the ninth inning, tied, and gave up, I think, a three-run homer. And then the next three games, I didn't get out of the third inning. And so you start doing some self-soul-searching, and you figure out what you need to do to get better. And every year, I learned something from those previous years. The next year, as you mentioned, I go to the All-Star game, and I think I'm going to have the season of my life, and I win one game in the second half. So those up and down things that were happening in my career were not – it wasn't native. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, you, you 
you could avoid them. It made me the pitcher that I, I became because of those times of perspective and learning what you needed to learn under the gun. People could tell you and, and share experience all they want with you until you actually can learn it under the gun. It's like a golf tournament. You don't know what you don't know until you actually do it. You could sit on your couch at home and claim that you know every answer to a game show and claim you could break par at whatever golf course or break 80 until you do it, until you're under the gun. You have no concept of what that is. I There's, you know, the, the famous saying in golf, there's golf and then there's tournament yeah. golf. I, I got it. Is that applicable in baseball? I was thinking maybe between baseball and playoff baseball, but is no, it? No, it's, it's applicable. I mean, there's the minor leagues and then there's yeah. the, big, the big leagues. But I think anything that any player who thinks that they can cross that white line without the preparation and the mindset being the right way, it is totally different when you've never been under those circumstances. And the playoff baseball is totally different. You have to have an opportunity um, to be successful by not being afraid of failing. And it sounds kind of counterproductive, but if you're worried about the outcome of what doesn't go right, then it won't go right. But if you're not afraid of being the GOAT or being somebody that doesn't compete at the highest level because of the circumstances are so great, You'll never achieve anything. I, I, I really believe that. And some players are really afraid of the outcome, which suffocates their ability to be and do the things they want to do at the most important time of their careers. Yeah. I, I mean, that just is so fitting for golf, too. You know, there, there's to, to play a, a free style of golf where you're not, you know, where you're playing aggressive and you're not worrying about what could go wrong. Right. I, I think that's what everybody uh, aspires to. Um so in the decade of the 90s, I, I mean, I, I, I wrote down your stats here. You, you compiled a 143-95 and 95 record, a 3.32 ERA. You pitched over 2,100 innings, um, you know, three All-Stars, one Cy Young, one Silver Slugger. You're part of the World Series championship team in 95. Did you ever envision, you know, that, that type of success when you set out or – it's interesting because, you know, I had goals in my whole life of everything I did, and I thought I could attain every goal that I set. And I realized that by setting goals, you're not a failure if you don't reach them, but if you don't reach for the stars and reach for something that's higher than you think of, you're never going to grow outside your comfort zone. So I always thought I would be successful under the moments that mattered the most. I love playoff baseball. I tried to win every baseball game I pitched, but there's something different about a regular season game and a postseason game. There's something different about being counted on to finish what you start. And so when I went through these ups and downs and pitched through a lot of injuries and had my share of surgeries, every moment made me a little notch better for what I was going to be prepared for. And I never dreamt I'd be in 14 straight postseasons, right? You never can play or plan for that. But I also believe that if you give me the opportunity – to pitch in the playoffs that I'll rise to the occasion. And my mindset was different because I couldn't do that for 36 starts. There's no way to pitch 36 playoff games because that would be the fall fallback. Like, why can't you do it in the regular season if you can do it in the postseason? Well, in the postseason, you're condensed. You don't. There is no tomorrow. You don't know if you're going to get another start. And so you go at it with an intensity and a mindset and a concentration level that's second to none for me personally. In the regular season, you know you're going to get, be given another start. If you did that every single time and every five days, you don't you may never get to the end of the season feeling like you're capable to do that at the most important time. So that was my mindset. I had an ability to turn it up a little bit. I didn't max out during the season, and I used it as a long-range gauge to get to a point that when game seven or first playoff start or any kind of game that meant that much more, I would have been ready. 
I should mention your your postseason record is is sterling as well. Fifteen and four with a two point six seven ERA, uh, one hundred ninety nine strikeouts, which I believe might be it just got surpassed uh, by did Justin Verlander. Okay, yes. I was I was gonna I was gonna ask you about that. Uh, I, I think it's impossible though to talk about the nineteen ninety Atlanta Braves without you know also mentioning Tom Glavin and and Greg Maddox right. and and Tom of course was in Atlanta I believe when you arrived he had been drafted by the Braves I, I'm curious kind of what your first uh perceptions of Tom were were you guys you know I I think you guys would grow to be mm-hmm. good friends at least good golfing buddies w- was that the case right yeah, from the go you know Tom's from the, the northeast I'm close I'm up in the north with Michigan we share some of the same kind of principles and and the one thing about Tommy is he was so inviting, and when I got called up, they kind of integrate, you know, integrated me in their golf game right away, which was awesome. Um, even though I wasn't drafted by the Braves, and he was, it felt like we've been our whole career together. So we became great friends of, of, of admiration for each other and the hard work and kind of blue-collar work ethic that we both instilled, or my parents both instilled in us. And He's one of those guys that um, you got to rip the ball out of his hands. I'm one of those guys you got to take the ball out of my hands. And we are soon to be joined by, uh, obviously, Greg Maddox in 93. And we became the trio that most people talk about, and rightfully so. We became 10 years together, Tommy and I 15, I think, together. And had the time of our lives. Never thought, never dreamt how long it would last. Never talked about, you know, the circumstances of what it would be like to all go in the, po- you know, the Hall of Fame together. None of that was ever the rhetoric. It was... What are we going to do in between each start to make this season and this go by better and have a much more enjoyable time? So I was the ringleader behind the golf and setting it up and creating, you know, all the formulas for uh, our season to be mapped out both from a road and golf uh, tee time. And then, of course, you know, our career spoke for themselves and we were able to extend our careers through golf. And I know that sounds a little cheesy, but each person will tell you the same thing. You cannot be so consumed about what you do that it zaps you from things in life that, you know, there are other things that go on. And you got to be able to get away from the game and get your mind away from what you're being paid to do at a high level. And we were able to do that through golf. What were your favorite road trips as oh far as golf? Well, the guarantees were in the West Coast. You knew sure. you were going to play because of the weather. But the near, the Northeast is by far one of our, you know, whether it's New York, Philadelphia, Chicago. I mean, those are some of the most pristine uh, golf courses in the country and we kind of figured anywhere between 70 and 75 of the top 100 golf courses we played just in the cities that the baseball took us to and obviously those lists change and the politicals but, but you know we've played some of those courses more than maybe some of those members play <laughs> in that given year um, created a lot of friends had a black book of members and guests and names and pros and uh, met a lot of great people through the game of golf what you mentioned uh, yourself, Tom and, and Greg? Did you have a usual fourth to join you? It was, yeah, the biggest thing we would do is because we had a five-man rotation. Every pitcher basically played golf. So Steve Avery uh, was our fourth for a long time. Pete Smith, Denny Nagel. Sure, uh, we had taught Kevin Millwood how to play. Jason Marquis how to play. <laughs> So if you were going to pitch on our rotation, you were going to learn how to play golf. Were there, were there, uh, did you have, were Tom and Greg teammates, for example? Was there a standard game or yeah, did you switch it up? Basically, the way it worked is to make it fun and challenging, I would take on those two in a best ball. <laughs> okay. And we do no strokes. And I didn't win a lot of those events, but when I won, it felt like I won all of them. Because you were taking on their best ball. 
and I had reached to a level where golf kind of, you know, progressed quicker for me. And now these guys have worked on their game and they've always been gunning for me indirectly. There's always that part in Glavin that says one day I'm going to beat them. <laughs> and I'm sure Maddox has some of the same feelings. I, I, Glavin, uh, somewhat famously, I, I believe it was at his Hall of Fame induction talking to Greg said about you, Greg, you made me wealthier with all the money we took from Smoltzy on yeah. the golf course. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if they were uh, in, if it, we put it under money leaders uh, were even close, but it felt good when they won and it equally felt as good when I won. What what kind of, what, what were your perceptions of, of Greg uh prior to his arrival in Chicago. Did you know him at all? Had you spent no, much time with him? No, just from competing against him and knew how what incredibly gifted as a pitcher he was. Never realized how smart that he went about his craft. You know, he's very um, gifted in the fact that he knew what he knew and he didn't try to do more than he was capable of. And he had a gift of a almost perfectly gifted type mechanics. Uh, to throw the baseball where he want was as good as anybody. Change speeds as good as anybody. Glavin had the same kind of, you know, from the left side. Here I was, the guy with all the talent and the expectations and the promise. And it felt like for a while that everyone predicted me to do things that I wasn't doing that you could look at it and go, well, am I a failure? It was just a byproduct of kind of the flashy stuff that I had versus the kind of workmanlike, mundane, just get you out type uh, atmosphere that they created on the mound because it didn't look like they were exuding much effort, but they were just dominating in a different way. So in the postseason, it kind of allowed me to have my traits come out and, and utilize, utilize those in a way that they really couldn't, not to mention they were pitching great games. It just looked different when you were throwing 96, 97 and striking guys out versus they were getting guys out in a different way. So we complemented each other. Uh, Greg was somebody that I learned a lot from, uh, learned how to pitch to hitters that I would have never thought about until hearing his wisdom. Even though we didn't pitch similar, he would look at ways in a game. He looked at things differently than I could possibly have looked at them. And so we kind of were able to pick each other's brain, both in the rental cars and the taxis and the golf carts. You know, we talked baseball. We didn't obsess about it. And we learned that we could, uh, you know, help each other out in ways that never would have imagined. You guys were all pretty famously competitive with pretty much everything you did. Right. It seemed like during that time, was there somebody of, of the two of those guys, was was there somebody you really relished uh, getting the better of? I, I did. <laughs> and when it came to, to beating somebody, I always wanted to beat Greg in cards because he was a mastermind of the numbers and kind of like Rain Man type. You know, he's from Vegas, and so he plays by the numbers. <laughs> so cards and those kind of games were fun to compete against. When it came to golf, we all had a good time. Nothing was ever going to be done where anybody felt like, you got taken advantage of or you, you know, we kept it very small and minimal. Um, that's that's kind of where it was. We didn't we didn't do a whole lot other than golf and play baseball and play cards. Can I ask you a few baseball questions? I'm, I'm curious. So you hit five career home runs. Do you remember? Can, can you name the pitchers? Yeah. You, you, yeah, Don Carmen was my first one. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, I was able to uh, to get that at, at Fulton County. I was able to get Oral Hershiser, believe it or not, in L.A. Yeah, that was your second. I believe Butch Henry was one, Dave Island, and uh, Fasaro. Fasaro was the, uh, the the other one. That I think the Fasaro one was on a pennant, the division-clinching game. We were going to clinch it anyways, but I hit a three-run homer. Uh, one of those guys that hit a three-run homer is either – and then on my, the day I was going to get my 2,000 strikeout, I think Dave Island, I got a home run off of Yeah. Three-run shot off of Jeff and Dave 
And okay. yeah, uh, that's that's good. I also am curious. Do you know who you faced the most in your career? Uh, it seems like it's got to be an Astro like Craig Biggio. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah, 128 plate appearances. Yeah, I mean he was. You know, it, it, I tell people all the time when you get to that level and you have that many at bats, it's basically everyone knows what each other's going to do. It's just who can execute and take advantage of the mistake. Yeah. Well, you, you, I think you executed more against him than than he did against you. Uh, I, I, I'm curious of guys you, you kind of faced a, a decent amount. Uh, do you remember? You know, who, who's a, a guy or two you remember having the most trouble with? Well, Tony Gwynn easily was the guy that I, I just you know was the best hitter in our generation. Uh, could do whatever he wanted. Um, the greatest stat that I think that we talk about all the time is Glavin, Maddox, and Smoltz. When this stat is thrown out, struck out Tony Gwynn, I think, a grand total of four times. That is remarkable in a day and age where strikeouts is not that big a deal anymore. But Tony Gwynn was impossible to strike out. He had a magic wand and an art of hitting that doesn't exist much today. But I believe Tony Gwynn, if he wanted to hit 40 home runs, could have sacrificed his average. If he wanted to hit 400, he almost did. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a there's a uniqueness about him. Um, he he he. There's a lot of guys that gave me trouble, but nobody gave me as much trouble as Tony Gwynn did. Uh, so I, I'm a big Reds fan, and uh, I, I just missed really the you know when I came of age I, I just missed eric davis but Ooh. he was another guy Look at, looking at your career numbers yeah uh you know he, he was, he's kind of talked about almost in superhero terms now mm-hmm. where you know late 80s eric davis was was yeah. just unbelievable I'm, I'm curious if he seems like one of the biggest what if guys yes, you know no had, had he stayed healthy uh he's surefire hall of famer um you know and borderline now still based on the fact that his peak was so good I uh, just couldn't stay on the field as much as you would like. I think he was seven for his uh, first ten against me with three home runs, something like that. And it was the most fearful at-bats as a young player going, I don't know how to get him out. He hit one, I think, on left field, center, and right. And and there for a while he stopped playing against me because some of those injuries. And I, I was like, thank God. You know, I didn't want to face him. And uh, he was one of those guys that – just didn't 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 work well for me. Yeah, he ended up. Uh, I, I saw 40, 40 plate appearances, hit four twelve with five home runs. And, yeah, yeah. So there you go. The the one I'm curious about. What do you remember about Franklin Stubbs? Well, Car- Frank- career two thirty two hitter, but he seemed to. Uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, he I didn't have, have the out pitch for him. You know, <laughs> I, if I'd have had Franklin Stubbs when I came in with that split finger, it would have been a little different. <laughs> okay. I remember him being just pretty much dead fastball hitter. And, Left-handers pounded me in my first three or four years till I came up with a split finger. Uh, on the other side, I, I should say, you know, guys like Sammy Sosa and 45 plate appearances, he hit 143 off you with no home runs. Um, and I found it Dwight Smith, who your former teammate was, out of guys you faced the most, he, you know, he went 0 for 19 against you. Now that I didn't know. Yeah, uh, yeah. I did not know that. But, you know, you, there's obscurity in the game where you figure out if you face somebody long enough, the, the numbers are going to change a little bit. But you always remember the little – the little guys that were at the plate in the leadoff spot was so much different back then than it is today. Those are the ones typically gave me the most most problems. I liked the sluggers. I, other than Barry Bonds, I felt like I did really well against most of the pro- prolific sluggers. Um, and I think that the you know Andre Dawson comes to mind. He was one of those feared guys, but but I, I like the guys that would would be more swing and miss than than the guys that stood at the plate and tried to put it in play. Well, you mentioned Gwynn. Was was Bonds on a? I mean, was he just a on a different level. planet? Yeah, I mean, he just didn't miss a pitch. 
I gave up the most home runs to him, tied with Maddox. Uh, competed against him a lot and will challenge him a lot in the regular season. I don't think I really ever got beat by him in the postseason. But you're going to lose your battles if you if you're not going to suck up your pride and pitch around. I didn't believe in pitching around uh, guys unless it called for it. And and our battles go way back. And nine home runs is a lot. And he uh, hit a lot of home runs. You've spent a lot of time with Tiger. I'm curious. Do you see similarities between those guys in in the way they go about? You know. Bonds obviously hitting a baseball and, and Tiger with golf. I mean, yeah, it's interesting. I probably see more Michael Jordan and in, in, in Tiger Woods as far as the most fierce competitors I've ever seen. Um, you know, it's 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 imagination one hundred and one. They have an incredible imagination, creativity, you name it. And uh, I've never seen anybody like um, Tiger Woods and and or Michael Jordan that I personally know um, to where they just want to beat you. They don't. They're going to beat you. They believe they're going to beat you every single time, and they're not afraid to tell you. You do uh, broadcast work now with Fox and, and MLB. I'm curious, you know, since you've retired, has there been anybody in the last decade or so that you wish, you know, you could kind of come back to be able to face guys like Trout? Oh, or, I'd have you loved know. a challenge of Trout. I yeah. don't know that I'd, I don't know that I'd have been super successful, but I would have loved that challenge. I mean, there's so many dynamic players today. Um, you know, there's no doubt. I mean, we, it's dangerous to compare eras. It really is. And I said, you know, kind of trained myself not to do it. But unequivocally, everyone who pitched 20 years ago would have a lot more strikeouts today. Yeah. There's no doubt. The game has changed in the way they go about it. So your numbers are going to look so, – and you're not going to pitch as much. So I think the challenge that I loved and the era that I loved pitching in, no one filled our brain with nonsense and no one told us anything that was not going to be – positive you know didn't worry about how many innings you had on your body and didn't worry about someone that didn't didn't tell you to max effort so in that sense i'm so grateful that i was able to pitch when i did you know the the the, the, the goal of pitching at least the way it was preached to us is how are you going to navigate the lineup four times uh, now it doesn't take any genius to tell you that the third and fourth time through is not going to be as good as the first and second time through but that doesn't mean you won't be successful and we've become so obsessed with can't face a guy three times. Well, based the way they're training guys today, I agree. Yeah, don't even let them because you're not giving them the chance to be successful by maxing them out as much as you do. But the greatest chess matches and the greatest feelings as a starting pitcher was to know that you could get through the game not with your best stuff and finish the game without dominating but knowing how to pitch. And that was an art that was promoted just like hitting was different. It was told, put the ball in play. It is a... It is not a badge of honor to strike out 200 times. It, as a matter of fact, it's an embarrassment, and that is flip. That's not the, the case anymore. So with all the different nuances and the way the game is played, you have to judge it according to the way the game is played today versus what you would do in a vacuum. And I try to balance that with, with my answers because it is totally different. Do you think it's better, worse, different? You know, that's that's obviously each club's determination and what sure. they feel. I don't think it's better, and I know there's a lot of people that don't think it's better. I think the guys are more talented, and they have the capability of being better. But the game is not played in a way where action becomes a premium and time of game is becoming more of a topic than it should be. And more importantly, under every circumstances in every era, you find something that gives yourself a chance to be better as an organization. I'm cool with that. But when you're not addressing one major epidemic that is coming to the forefront constantly, and that's an injury or a player's career is not lasting very long, 
That's where I think you can look at the game and go, that's where it is not getting better. Guys mm-hmm. are getting hurt at an alarming rate. They're on the, you know, now the injured list more than than ever. And I just don't think that that is something that, um, you know, is a priority anymore because there may be so many more arms coming that the philosophy is, well, next guy up. Right. And I think from a, a fan base, from a player personnel, that's why – Playing 21 years was rewarding and gratifying. I don't think many people will do that anymore. Yes, the financial situation is different. But my philosophy was, why not play as long as you can? Why not figure out a way to stay healthy and do the things you need to do so that your longevity, but analytically and and statistically, they're trying to show why that won't happen anymore. And I'm not saying that that is a, a bad thing per se if it increases productivity. But my biggest thing is we are not addressing the injuries because I don't think it's a concern until it becomes a concern. When you run out of pitchers, everyone's going to be addressing the injuries. Yeah. But until you do that, they're just going to next man up. From my perspective, it seems like it's almost commodifying the players. And they're they're more or less pawns that, you know, the, the analytics guys in the front office just move around and, and play with. Um, I agree with you. I, I don't necessarily enjoy as much where where baseball is compared to you know when i was coming of age in in the 90s um last baseball question before i want to ask you a few things on golf uh and i'm phrasing this question because i want to i want to make you answer besides yourself and so my my question is let's say it's game seven world series you pitch game six the night before mm-hmm. you threw a 135 pitch complete game you know got the win who do you turn the ball to in Game Seven between Maddox, Glavin, and can I throw in Pedro, Randy Johnson, Roger Clemens, some other guys of of your era? Yeah, yeah that's a tough question because uh, <laughs> you probably there's probably no wrong answer. You know, in context of where everybody is, I mean, it's I watched Glavin pitch one of the greatest Game Sixes, which ended up you know winning us a World Series one to nothing. Um, you know, when I think of, of Roger Clemens and Pedro Martinez and Randy Johnson, it's totally three different pitchers than Tom Glavin and Greg Maddox. And yet their careers will be extended by the win total by Tommy and, and Greg, with the exception of Clemens, because he's got like 300, 340-something <laughs> or whatever it is. Um, man, that's a great question. It, it would be It would be difficult in the prime of everybody's career – uh, to stay away from Pedro or, or or even Roger, but again, you know, you're not going to make a wrong decision on any of them. Okay, all right. It, it seems like the way people talk about Pedro, there's just something, yeah, maybe a little bit special that no that doubt. he had. Hey guys, real quick, Randy again. I want to thank Herbal Active for sponsoring today's trap draw. That's Herbal Active. You can visit their website, HerbalActive.com. U R B A L A-C-T-I-V. Herbal Active is a high-performance brand of CBD-infused products specifically developed for those striving to live an active and healthy lifestyle. Their products are infused with 99.5% pure CBD extract, contains absolutely no THC, and is legal in all 50 states. You don't have to worry about, you know, is it legal, illegal? It's, It's legal everywhere. They make a few different types of products. There's, They make a balm, which you can apply anywhere. They have water-soluble drops that you can either put right on your tongue. You can, you know, mix them in your morning coffee. You can put them in an evening drink if you like. How, however, 
your regiment uh, works for you. And then the other thing, they have a, a mint that you can take that's also CBD infused. So head over to their website, herbalactive.com. Again, U-R-B-A-L-A-C-T-I-V. Be sure to use the promo code TRAPDRAW20. I'll get you 20% off all your purchases. We thank them for sponsoring the Trap Draw. And now back to my interview with John Smoltz. Well, I, I want to obviously, you, you retired from the game. Um, was it 2009? Uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2015. In the last couple of years, your, your golf career has, has really blossomed. You qualified for the 2018 U.S. Senior Open. Uh, if I can, when did, did you play golf growing up? No. When, when did you come to the game? Hey, ball. Okay. Uh, about 20 years old. Um, realized I was going to go crazy if I didn't have something in between those five days. <laughs> I picked up fishing and golf. Love both. Uh, golf became the passion. Um, just obsessed by that every day could be that day. Never taking a lesson, just self-taught. And uh, I always, you know, kidded my teammates that one day, never dreaming I'd ever have an opportunity to play with a PGA pro. You give me an opportunity to play with the biggest and baddest guys, I'll rise to the occasion. And I've always had that mindset. And then you get humility and humble 101. Golf does that to you. And, and no different than my career in baseball, I've learned so much through some of the most painful failures of golf that it's made me a better player. It's made me think differently, but it's not defined who I am yet. Physically, I'm running into some barricades. There's no doubt about that. I'm, I'm kind of cashing in some of the checks my body wrote during the career. And so I'm constantly having to figure out a way of, of being able to overcome that and get to the highest level that I want to get to. My career as a broadcaster is not helping, but that's part of my job. It's not <laughs> part of my you know dream of becoming a professional golfer by any means. But I want to see how far I can take off. I think I have eight prime more years of, of playing to try to find a way to stay healthy. Um, it is the greatest accomplishment I've ever had in life, qualifying for that U.S. Senior Open. I, I just can't even tell you that. Yeah, the emotions I was dealing with in that one day. I read your quote. It was the most emotionally fired up you've you've ever been, yeah. which, you know, coming from a guy who has pitched in the moments you've pitched in is, yeah. is really saying and something. I, and I, again, because, you know, the moments that I pitched in do, do not pale in it in comparison, but it's a team sport. And mm -hmm. I had a lot of help. It's not like I struck out every guy and I could stand on the mound going, look <laughs> at me. In golf, you don't have any help. You're basically doing what you need to do to survive and get the score you need to compete. So... You know, from an individual standpoint, it is one of the top accomplishments I can I can think of. Um, in, in addition to qualifying for the U.S. Senior Open in 2018, last year at the 2019 Diamond Resorts uh, Tournament of Champions, you uh, won by three points over uh, Mark Mulder, another former baseball pitcher. And um, you also got to play in three Champions Tour events. Uh, I, I'm curious what you were able to take from that and then looking forward you know you say you got eight years what do you yeah. think the ceiling is for your golf game honestly if i stop doing what i do for a living i think a ceiling's much higher but given the fact i have to squeeze it in it's going to be what it is in the time frame that i have i i, I need to find a better balance of, of being physically able to do things i'm a very driven guy but but my profession pays me to do what i need to do in the baseball world so when I look at those three Champions Tour events, I was so close to having everything I wanted to have in those events. I had some magical moments. I just couldn't finish the deal. My mind wouldn't let me. I think the more I can play in those, the more comfortable I'm going to be. But I also want to qualify for some of those as well. Mm -hmm. um, learning from those guys has been unbelievable. You know, my first 
tournament was in Tucson. I was under par every hole except for the last two every day. <laughs> I mean, that's just frustrating, but that's just not knowing how to finish a tournament because I'm still c- consumed with things that I'm not familiar with yet. Um, so I, I have a lot way, long way to go. Winning last year really helped. I think anytime you win something, my golf career is mimicking my baseball career where the expectations are X, Y, Z, and I'm not living up to them in other people's eyes, but eventually I learn enough to, to get to the point, get to the mountaintop. And, um, look, the guys that I beat here may not be 10. You know, it's not a full field. The guys can compete for this. I mean, who, you know, everyone would admit that, but the top three or four are so good that in their, in their, they've been dominating. Marty Fish and Mark Mulder have been dominating until Tony Romo the last two years in Tahoe. If you look up the last 10 tournaments, 14 tournaments, I bet you uh, Mark Mulder and Marty Fish have won about eight to 10 of those. What, uh, what, what do you take most from playing alongside the LPGA players? I'm amazed at their game, at how they navigate each club, how straight they hit it, how under control. The wind doesn't matter. Um, their swings are flawless, and they just know where to miss. And I got to get to that point. What does your 2020 schedule look like? It's a little up in the air right now. I don't know physically what I'm. I, I got. I really have a challenge in front of me that I'm trying to manage. This week's going to tell me a lot about my about my conditions that I'm dealing with with my hips. Um, if I can get through this this tournament, which is five days of walking, um, I'm going to be encouraged. But if I'm optimistic, I know eventually I've got to have some surgery. So. The schedule is going to be only as good as my body is able to allow me to take advantage of it. Right now, it looks like two events possibly on the Champions Tour I know of. Could be up to four or five. There's a lot of uh, balls in the air with my schedule. Have you ever been – what's it like to play in a big money game with Tiger? Well, fortunately, it's never been a big money game, (laughs) so I can't answer that. But any money I lose is difficult to get part way with. Uh, my meal money has gone to him. Uh, spring training meal money has gone to him in envelopes that uh, he laughs about. But he did have to return a couple of those envelopes, unopened, by the way, which really ticked me off because you've got to at least see if there's real money in there. But you just, you're feeling like the best way I can explain it is if you miss the green, you lose. That's a bad feeling. So you can't be perfect, but that's the way you feel like you have to be, even the amount of strokes I was given. His level that he could go to is bar none, one of the most incredible levels you'll ever see. And competitive-wise, you, you think like him, him and Michael? Off and, the charts. Yeah. There's nobody I've come across, ironically, with the exception of Yvonne Lendl back in the day in the previous celebrity tour, the, the amount of hours that Yvonne Lendl spent at the range was so inconceivable to me, but that was his basic life bringing up as a tennis player he told me his stories of what it took for him to make it in the country that he grew up in and it was all work ethic it was all discipline it was methodical it was nothing i could ever do and with the exception of that level of you know competitiveness i i consider myself in the top five competitive guys in the world but when it comes to MJ and Tiger, those are they may be one and two. Have you played it? Have you played much golf with MJ? I have. Oh, yeah, you give him strokes, I imagine. Yes, um, he is. He has gotten to a point in his his life where golf now is uh, he's tough to beat, man. And his swing may not be the prettiest, but he knows how to get it around a golf course now, and uh, a lot of fun. Obviously, first time I ever played with him, he had a resume that was. Not the finished resume because he was still playing, 
But when he was standing over a 30-footer for a birdie and I had 11-footer for birdie and the birdie meant whoever we made it was going to win the match because I was up, he rattled off his resume that was so intimidating. And the reason he rattled it off is because he said, this is no big thing. I'm going to make this putt. I'm four-time champion. I'm five-time NBA. Whatever it was at the time, he's rattling this all off. And he made it. And then I got to my 11-footer, and my resume stunk. There was nothing I could go to that was going to pump me up to make me feel like I was going to make that 11-footer. <laughs> Thankfully, I did make it and won. But the point was, it was Michael Jordan this in an atmosphere that nobody could get to, willing himself to make the putt, and he did. I, I won't ask you, obviously, what you know, the dollar amounts, but is there a game? Is it just Nassau's that you usually play with yeah, them? Yeah, nothing. Or is See, it- I, I, I think when, you know, there's always going to be rumors and there's always going to be stories that are nowhere close. I think golf, whether it's a dollar or a hundred dollars or whatever it is that someone wants to play for, that I, I will never play with somebody feeling like I'm taking their last dollar. But I just want to win. I don't want to crush anybody. The dollar amount is insignificant for the match of which you're gauging the match, right? I mean, Golf has so many different ways to go in in the in the way that someone plays it that I get just as much enjoyment out of winning a Nassau, a closeout, a you know, giggle golf game. <laughs> it, it, to me, I always met, I always am looking to shoot my best score. My buddies laugh at me because I always want to play two 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 no presses because I'm the same way. It's like you know we can make the bet, but it's really about exactly it's about the game. Uh, the the last thing I want I, I came across this and I. I Really, one I'm curious. You threw, you threw live. I guess BP, but you, you threw live pitches to Tiger. Yeah. When, when was that? So this would have been uh, 2000, and I want to say give or take seven. It was it was later in my career, and he always wanted to do it. And I was coming back, getting ready from an injury. So we had this called simulated game. Nobody was in the stands, just the players, myself. And I said, if you want to do it, this is the time to do it. Was this in Atlanta? This is in Orlando, spring training. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So spring training, he said, I want everything you have. Don't you don't you ease up on anything. Now, mind you, I said, Tiger, this is not a comfortable situation for me. I'm not worried about hitting you. That's not the issue. It's I'm worried about your thumbs jamming up. You know, that, that'll affect your golf game. But there is a, a 10% chance that you're going to be headlines like world's number one golfer knocked out by John Smoltz <laughs> comes across your mind. But he wanted to do it, and he took batting practice, got ready. Brian McCann was a catcher. And it was just me, Brian McCann, and him and a pitching coach and no fielders. And Brian was going to be the umpire, and he intimidated Brian so much <laughs> at the plate that he didn't call anything that was borderline. And I'm like, you're my catcher. So, at the end of the day, he declared himself one for four with three strikeouts. He hit a little ball up the middle that he claimed he would have beat out. But he realized, and I think he got a little mad when, he, when I tried to get him to hit it. Because there was no way under those. He's a good athlete. No no one's going to take that away. Uh, but it would be like me trying to compete with him in a long drive or some accuracy thing that golf would have. There's no way. And uh, it was a fun moment and, and one of those things that you uh, – I'll have two of these moments in my life that won't be as directly accurate to my grandchild, who's now about 16 months old, and he's old enough to remember to be able to understand. I will tell him I pitched against Tiger Woods, <laughs> and I played with Tiger Woods at the Masters on Sunday, which I did. Uh, two weeks before the Masters actually um, was going, he invited me to play <laughs> in a round on Sunday with Sunday pins, and it was the time of my life. Uh, now, I... 
when my grandson gets old enough, he'll look in the records to see that, that that actually didn't happen, but that I did play at Augusta on Sunday, just not in the tournament. How would you shoot that day? So I, we, I, it's like right out of Seinfeld. I'm late getting to his FBO. It's in the middle of spring training. Bobby let me do it, which is miraculous. <laughs> and I'm supposed to show up at 6.30 a.m. or whatever, 7 a.m. I can't find it. It's foggy, and my gas tank's on empty. I'm 20 minutes late. I'm on the phone. I'm trying to get where this road I can't find. I finally get on the plane. But me being late, when we showed up, we couldn't hit any practice balls. Went right to the first tee because he had he was going to have me back by three. First tee, pipe it right down the middle. I do in the middle of the fairway. He hits in the right bunker. And we're walking down the fairway, and he goes, this might be your day. And I said, you're darn right. This might be my day. I make six from the middle of the fairway. He makes four. He shoots 66. I think I shoot 76. And it was the easiest round of golf I've ever watched anybody play in my life. Sunday pins. Yeah. And to see that up front just is unreal. Has anything in the last, you know, 12 to 18 months that he's done surprised you? But, you know, whether it be the Tour Championship, the Masters, the, you know, the President's Cup. Nothing surprises me. But within reality, I don't think people realize what he's really done. Uh, you, You fall. As far as he did physically, mentally, you try to comp- try to think you have the same mental capacity, but it goes along with your your failing body. You have to reprove to yourself and the world that you can do these things. And at the end of the day, um, what he's doing for me is one of the greatest feats I've ever seen any athlete go through, knowing so much behind the scenes. And I think for the game of golf, obviously, it speaks for itself. So um, I'm I'm. I'm thrilled to have played as many rounds of golf in my life with him, um, but more thrilled to see his comeback, you know, and hopeful that his physical ability will will allow him to maximize his potential. Last question. Uh, for a guy who's played so many of the, the top golf courses, what's does, does one stick out? I mean, I, I guess it would be hard to beat Augusta, yeah. but does one stand above? It's so above? hard for me. I'm a different mindset guy. I don't I don't have, like, I, there's not one that pops up and says, unbelievably, last day of my life, this is what I would play. But there's so many. You know, Oakmont's always in the top conversation for me, whether it's, whether it's you know, in Augusta, Pine Valley. I think Marion. There's so many courses that just... I could play over and over again, but they're so good. I couldn't come down to just a top five, but Oakmont's always going to be in there for me for whatever reason. Where? What's your best round? 63. And where was that? That was at a place called the Floridian uh, in Florida okay, here. Sure. Um, Jim Crane owns it now, and it's one of my favorite spots. Um, it was a magical day, and uh, I've come close, but never – I've shot a couple 64s, but not – Anything close to that? I, I did want it. Sorry, I'm, I, I said that was my last question. W- what was that first time you broke par? Did it take you a while? Oh, yes. Uh, I was always hovering around that. Uh, the first time I really broke par, um, I shot a 66. and So you really broke That through. was it. That yeah. was like, that's what ruined me for life. Um, fishing no longer became <laughs> an option. Gotcha. Uh, well, John, thank you so much. Um, good luck this week defending your title. Uh, who, who's your stiffest uh, competition Still out there? Still Mark Mulder okay. and Marty Fish. All right. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining and uh, hope to see you at some events, maybe on the Champions Tour this year. My pleasure. Yeah.
had to get it right. Now I'm your favorite rapper's favorite rapper. Hey, now I'm your favorite trapper's favorite trapper. The absolute truth.